After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. everyone, it's Mind Rolling with Raghu, me, and um, I've got a very unusual guest today. Uh, I'll tell you how I met him. I was, I was watching Mickey Lemley's new Dalai Lama movie, by the way, if you get a chance. Uh, I think it's called The Last Dalai Lama. Anyhow, it's fantastic. And in this movie, was Dala, His Holiness was working with um, this other, uh, this doctor, uh, and uh, it was all around uh, what was called an atlas of emotion, which was this beautifully designed, intricate uh, presentation around uh, the the various emotions that we all have complex issues in relationship to and it showed the complexity and how it all breaks it was just fantastic anyhow I got interested and I thought okay uh, and it turned out that who I had seen was the daughter of Dr. Paul Ekman and Paul uh, is who I I have on the show today and uh, he's a pioneer in the study of emotions and their relation to facial expressions which as soon as I saw that, I went, okay, this is for me. My whole life has been about people coming up to me and going, what's wrong with you? Why are you so angry? Or, gee, you're not feeling well? You're so sad. And I never had, it had nothing to do with what was going on inside me. It was crazy, crazy making. And so I thought, wow, here's my opportunity to talk to an expert around this. And I did. And you know what the crazy thing is? I got what I would consider an hour uh, therapy session out of this. Okay. My first podcast therapy session it was fantastic. I mean, he also, uh, what are we talking about? Um, I'm, by the way, he, had, he who is an out-and-out, incredible, incredibly accomplished scientist. I mean, he's an 82 or 3-year-old man who is completely together and completely um, sharp and really has, has paid dues and really understands uh, so much about this subject. Uh, it was really uh, enlightening. 
At the same time, he's a scientist, and he had this amazing experience with His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, that you got to hear in this podcast, and it was a personal transformation. Amazing. Uh, absolutely amazing. And um, so a lot of this is about how to cultivate emotional balance, and I don't know how much we talk about this on Mind Rolling. You know, this is super important. Uh, if we can get any kind of leg up on how the hell to do that, boy. And... I got it, okay? And uh, he uh, also uh, talked a lot about my main subject of disturbing emotions, which is anger. So uh, I'm quite happy to report that I now maybe have a better better handle on that. Um, maybe. Uh... Well, I think everything else in here is pretty self-explanatory. I just, I, I wanted to say how great it was to have this therapy session. I hope you get something out of it. Uh, uh, due to my uh, fumbling around and uh, trying to get some uh, um, real response to uh, this thing I've gone through my whole life about this facial emotion stuff. Just, uh, just amazing. Uh, what else? Mind rolling needs support, as does everything else, all the other podcasts on the network. By the way, we have a new podcast coming out I want you to take a listen to. It's Melanie Moser. It's called Shakti Hour. It's her interviewing amazing, amazing uh, women of spirit uh, who have gone through uh, transformations and, and are offering uh, incredible, uh, substantial teachings in one way or another. So Shakti Hour will be out there um, by the time you hear this podcast, I would hope, just around there. So yeah, all of this, guys, needs help, uh, needs support, um, either through donations or through uh, uh, just going up to uh, the website, BeHereNowNetwork.com and you know, getting that old Amazon link and putting it up there and on bookmarking it so whenever you've got to use something from Amazon you can go through our portal and then we get a little you know you you know the drill I mean I've been doing this forever and but uh, just uh, people are saying to me you're not talking about enough about this because we do need support there's a, a lot going on um, and we have some great announcements coming up by the way uh, we're going to have a live podcast. We have this partnership now with Feral Audio, where Duncan Trussell is. And uh, I hope you heard that Duncan Trussell, Pete Holmes, uh, one a couple of weeks back. That was amazing. And um, uh, what else do we have coming? So much. Um, meanwhile, just by the way, because here's something great that has uh, some rich parts to it. Uh, the retreat from December. We have put it together. It's like over 10 hours. And Ram Dass, Christian Das, Jack Cornfield, uh, Sharon Salzberg, Trudy Goodman, Mirabai Bush, me and Duncan and Ramesh and uh, the stuff with me, Duncan and Ram Dass, you will love this. And then we did something with Sharon and Jack that's amazing as well. So not only is this informative and credible teachings, and it's called Finding the Beloved, 
touching the compassionate heart. Just go to go to ramdas.org and right at the top banner you'll find the uh, you know the whole spiel, the link. You'll get the link, and it's a it's actually a, we did a partnership with uh, Yoga International because we just can't handle all this stuff. We just don't have enough infrastructure, enough people, and enough uh, funds to 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 do absolutely everything. So we have to get partners. And you're our partner, too, by virtue of whatever support you can manage. So, all right, that's it. Here we go. Mind rolling. My therapy session with Dr. Paul Ekman. Hi, everyone. It's Raghu Marcus and Mind Rolling back for another week with a, a special, special guest, Dr. Paul Ekman. Welcome, Paul, to the show. Thank you. And um, Paul has been a pioneer in the study of emotions and their relation to facial expressions and has written a number of uh, uh, books. Uh, the one I'm most familiar with is with uh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama, and we're going to talk about that uh, as much as possible as so we we love His Holiness here at the Be Here Now Network. Um, and um, I, was the first book may have been Emotions Revealed? No. The first book was called uh, God. Not Emotion in the Human Face. That's another book. I don't know. I'd have to look it up. Yeah, uh, it, yeah you have was, a lot uh, of books. Yeah, the first book was published... I think it's 72. Oh, wow. Boy. I've yeah. been at this a long time. Yes, yes. Or another way of putting it is I'm an old man. <laughs> I just had my 83rd birthday. Oh, my. Congratulations. That's fantastic. Well, you know, that's an interesting thing. People do get congratulated for living so long, but they usually had nothing to do with it unless yeah. they were risk takers, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's all in the genes. We used to not think it was all in the genes. We used to think, that people who considered it to be all in the genes were fascists of some kind. <laughs> but they were just uh, onto the, what seems to be the case, and that is that genes have a very large influence on how we behave. Mm. Not that we can't counteract them, we can, but that takes effort and that takes skill. And uh, I've been quite concerned with developing tools that give people skills that they're not otherwise equipped with mm. for recognizing emotion and for considering what's the best way to deal with emotional disagreements. Uh, just if, you know, step one is you have to know how the other person feels, but that doesn't get you into step two, which is responding to their feelings in the most constructive way mm. that will further future collaboration. Yeah. Uh, that's what I've worked on for the last 10 or 15 years. So I have an online tool for that too. The reason why I've developed these online tools is because it gets boring to teach it again and again and again. Yeah, no, that's the, first, the beauty. You know, first five times you teach it, it's exciting. The next five, it gets boring. And so if you can be online, uh, people still like to get taught it. So there are uh, people who teach 
my online tools to people in classrooms, which they don't need to go to. They could just go online, yeah. but they'd <laughs> rather have someone teach it to yeah, them. Yeah. Um, let's, uh, well, let's just talk a little bit about just in terms of you coming up as a young man and, uh, and your interests and how, how did you get turned towards this uh, inquiry after emotions? Well, I was originally trained to be a psychotherapist. My PhD was in clinical psychology from the only school at that time, 1957, that if you said on your application you wanted to become a clinical practitioner, every school but one would turn you down. They didn't, they wanted to trained researchers, not practitioners. Not so for Adelphi University, which is where I went and got my PhD. But I'm the black sheep of Adelphi, because here I am doing research, not doing <laughs> psychotherapy. Right. Uh, but I found uh, it was really one of the benefits of being drafted. I, If you got your PhD before the age of 26, uh, in the days when... In the, 60s, 50s, then you got drafted. So I got drafted into the U.S. Army. And it was in the Army that I learned how with research you could really influence with findings a lot more people than you could by doing even group psychotherapy, which I first I thought, well, that's the answer to the fact that, you know, in a lifetime, if you're someone like my sister who was an individual psychotherapist, you know, she may have treated less than 100 people. They're a country of 300 million, you know, let alone the rest of the world. So psychotherapy is only a Band-Aid that few can afford and few can apply. But in any case, it doesn't usually treat the problem. It ameliorates the problem. Mm. But I've tried to... Uh, focus my research on just <clears throat> increasing people's emotional skills. And uh, we talk about, you just talked about genes and counteracting genes and, and so on. And in your own case, were, did you use yourself uh, and your self-inquiry related to emotions? In I'm a way? my best subject. <laughs> I don't have to worry about being sued. Now, seriously, <laughs> uh, there are limits because we all have uh, blocks we may or may not recognize uh, in what we're able to observe about ourselves. Uh, I've worked very hard to get around those blocks and to be able to really use myself, my mind, as a tool of investigation. And then, of course, I've tested it on other people at this point, lots of people. So I've tried not to represent what's idiosyncratic, and we all have things that are peculiar to us. I'm mm -hmm. using the word peculiar <laughs> in its double meaning. Uh, but we all have things that we share with other people, and uh, things about, particularly about our emotions. Um, when I was trained, when I got my PhD in 1958, I was misled to believe that everything about emotion is socially learned and culturally variable. Most of my research has shown that's not the case. 
not that we all experience exactly the same emotions. Uh, we have some of the same emotion programs, but they run on different instruments, on different bodies, and using different brains that are the product of a variety of influences. So emotions do link us all together. That's what the Dalai Lama liked. When I gave my presentation first time I met him, he responded uh, with great enthusiasm to my work on universals, because that's what he's interested in, in what links us all together, mm. what we share and have in common. And uh, I remember the poor young uh, psychologist who was working on how individuals differ. He had no interest in her, he ignored her completely, because uh, that's not what he, you know, mm. he's... In a sense, he's very political. Uh, I have still on my desk a book I have almost given up hope that I'll ever get a chance to talk to him about his book. Uh, just a minute, I'll reach it and hold it up. Mm, beyond Religion. Yes. Now, he thinks, and I would agree with him, but not as vehemently. Their religion has been the cause of most wars, and it's what divides us. And that if we're to find an ethical framework, we're going to find it beyond religion. We're going to find it in what is it that all of us share as human beings. And that was why he got so enthusiastic about my work, because that's what I was working on mm. in terms of emotions. Mm, I mean, if and if anything isn't needed more now today in terms of finding a common denominator, I don't know what is. Yes. Well, we live in a very divided society in the United States. Uh, I think the figure is 8% of those who voted for Obama voted for Trump. So, you know, it's a very, they're the Trump people and the Obama people. And then there are a small number who are neither, but that's a pretty small number. Yeah. We're a very divided country with a president who I believe is making hay from the divisions, who's trying to accentuate them rather than bridge them. Yeah. Uh, very regrettable. Yeah. 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 And, uh, I actually have been doing a bunch of podcasts with uh, various people, teachers, thought leaders, just around how we deal with our reactions to this and, and how we are emotionally so wrought up in, in this that uh, I, it's very difficult to see a path forward uh, of any constructive uh, variety. Well, the, the key, I think, the first step is to respect those you disagree with, is to respect the Trump voter, to recognize that that Trump voter is more like you than different from you, and to build bridges with them on what is it that you commonly share, and also to learn respectful disagreement. You and I can disagree, but I can still, I can respect our disagreement and respect you for the views that you hold, even though I disagree with them. If you haven't learned that, 
you're going to have a lot of trouble in life, you know, particularly in uh, intimate relationships. I mean, I don't know. I My wife and I agree about a lot of things, but not everything. And when we disagree, it's not a question of who's right. It's how do we live with disagreement? How do we continue to maintain mutual respect despite disagreement, especially if the disagree? Now, we've never disagreed about child rearing. That would have been very hard to circumnavigate because parents care so much about it and usually have been brought up to think that they have an amazing influence on it. We now know parents' influence on children is primarily in a negative direction. That is, if you are really a rotten, abusive, exploitive parent, then you can undermine not all, but a lot of children. But children are who they are. You know, they are not really shaped by their parents, um, only to the extent that you can give them confidence in themselves by having confidence in them. Now, that's a gift and really important to have. Mm. But uh, respectful disagreements, but when it's such a hot issue around this president as we have it now it's the idea that you can i i'm I, it's it's written up every darn day in the papers about you know the fact that uh, that the reason there's no dialogue possible between a trump voter and a liberal is basically because of the lack of of this perceived, I mean, it's not even covered in all its gross lack of respect for the Trump voter, that, that they are ignorant and so on and so forth. I mean, that, so that's already coming from, from the Trump voter and from the people, the progressives, they may give lip service to, to this, but that they are, it's so hot. In other words, emotionally, they are so reactive that there is no space for this respect. How do we get there? How do we even advise people with this kind of heat inside themselves? It's not an easy matter. But it is something you can practice. When I, in the days when I was teaching, I used to uh, have people identify an issue that they completely disagreed with another person in the room and then try to learn about the disagreement. Not change the other person's view, but learn why they hold it. How did they come to it? Do they have any doubts about it? Do, what are their doubts about people who disagree with them? Explore it. It's interesting. And the more you can understand, not try to change, but understand why somebody disagrees with you, the more likely it is that the two of you will be able to find a way of living with each other, living with a disagreement. We can't convert everyone, nor should we try, to our view. 
But we have to live, we have to collaborate in some fashion with people who, with whom we disagree about important matters. Well, the first step is to try to understand, really understand, not convert, not challenge, really understand their view. You'd be amazed, maybe you wouldn't be. Most people are amazed about the fact that people are hungry for someone who will really listen to them and try to have an open mind and try to understand them. We all want to be understood. Even if when you understand me, you completely disagree with me, at least you understand me. Mm -hmm. And you are willing to spend the time not to dismiss me, not to challenge me, but to understand my view of things. Mm. That's very powerful. Yeah. And it doesn't come naturally. It's a skill you have to develop. My wife is going to be very happy that you and I had this conversation when I tell her about it, Paul. <laughs> Not kidding. Um, perfectly said, and um, thank you for that. Now, when I first became aware of you and just took a look at the website, we're, we're going to give everybody, by the way, Dr. Ekman has some fantastic stuff on the website and very much like this uh, this little piece that you just heard describing what we can do in in very practical terms. So you'll you'll get all that information in his books and everything. But so as I, I'm going through it and, you know, particularly uh, around um, facial expressions related to emotions hit me right square on because and I thought God I've got to talk to this guy when I was a child from the my earliest memories I mean you know it can be 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 30, you know like that I don't know how many people came up to me and said hey oh, what's wrong what, are you, you're, you're sad and if it wasn't that What's wrong? Are you angry? What did I do? Did I do? It was that. And it was, and I would be inside going, what in the heck are they talking about? I don't have anything going on. To this day, Paul, with my wife, we talk about this a lot, where I am, she's reading something that I'm not feeling in my facial expressions. Can we talk about this? Sure. Uh when somebody shows on their face one of the, some variation of the seven universal facial expressions of emotion, and it's there for a second or more, there's rarely a misunderstanding. But there are misunderstandings occur and the kind that you're referring to is uh, probably uh, a consequence of what you're doing with your eyebrows and your forehead uh, when you're listening to someone or when you're talking. And what you may be doing, and we, uh, this isn't a criticism, it's an attempt at explanation. <laughs> is you are probably lowering your brow, or furrowing your brow, uh, 
Now that's, unfortunately, that's something that people do when they're concentrating, when they're trying to understand something, and when they're getting angry. Uh. Now, if it's not accompanied by anything else, you don't know which one it is. So which one I'm going to think it is depends on what I expect of you mm. or what I'm concerned about regarding you. When you get a full facial expression of emotion and it's on the face for at least one second, there's virtually no disagreement about what it is, which emotion. There may be a lot of uncertainty about what brought it on because emotions don't tell you their cause. I, to think that you know from the emotion itself what caused it is to commit what I've called Othello's error. Now, if you remember the play, Othello read Desdemona's emotion of fear correctly. His mistake was in thinking he knew it caused the fear. Emotions don't tell you their cause. So he thought it was the fear of a woman caught in infidelity. So he slew her, killed her. Mm. It was the fear of a woman who knew she had a near insanely jealous husband. And at that moment revealed that he had killed her suspected lover who wasn't her lover at all. Mm. Emotions don't tell you what triggered them. You have to be careful not to commit Othello's error, not to presume that you know. Find out. So, so you're, you're getting a little annoyed. Anything I'm doing that's annoying you or you're remembering an argument you had elsewhere? What's, what's up? What's causing this? Or am I misreading you? Are you not annoyed? Or are you just concentrating? You can't understand why I'm saying what I'm saying because that produces some of the same, not all, but some of the same changes in the face. The face is a very powerful signal system. Mm. So is the voice. But I can turn off the voice and then you don't know anything. I can't turn off the face unless I wear a mask. And then you know that I've decided to hide from you. So I don't wear a mask. So it's uh, we have to be very careful not to presume that we know what triggered an emotional expression. The same expression, if I'm afraid of an earthquake, I live in earthquake country, if I'm afraid that I'm not, I don't have enough money to pay the rent this month, if I'm afraid that my wife may be unfaithful, they're going to all show the same expression, the fear expression. It doesn't tell me what the trigger is. I need to find that out. All I know is I'm dealing with someone who's afraid. That's better than knowing nothing, but it isn't knowing everything. And what I have to really watch out for, you know, Othello's, Othello's error, is that I'm going to interpret that fear expression I see in terms of my psychology, what it is I'm afraid that people might be afraid of, not what's relevant to them. So that's a vulnerability. And the guard against it Two things. One is to know that emotions don't tell you their trigger. And two, to ask questions. Now, asking questions in a 
interested but neutral voice. Often we ask questions in a, well, why are, why are you acting like this? Or why are you acting like this? And we're already in the emotion. Mm-hmm. So we're not just asking a question. We're showing an emotion that, about what we think might be the answer to the question. Hold on a minute. Yeah. Just ask a question. Wait till you get the answer. Don't anticipate it with an emotion, because then you're no longer asking a question. You're giving an answer to a question that you're asking without getting the answer yourself. So, you know, it's a lot of these things are easier said than done. But in my 38th year of marriage, I have, after earlier failures, uh, I have to acknowledge this is my fourth marriage. So I failed three times in marriage, but I learned from my failures not to repeat what had caused them to fail. Mm. Now, but the real secret is I really uh, married a woman who was very easy to get along with and patient, and maybe that's cheating. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Maybe if I maybe if I had married another really difficult woman, yeah, I would we'd have had, see how far uh, you come. <laughs> yeah, right. But I learned to recognize the signs of someone who had not resolved their problems with the opposite sex parent, and therefore we're going to try and do it with me. Mm-hmm. And although that initially makes you feel important, it defeats you in the long run. Mm-hmm. You know, back to that. So back to my experience. So what would happen with people who would say to me, you know, what's the matter? You're you're sad or you're angry. That seemed to be those were the two things, by the way, was never anything else. And it was, you know, I had a whatever I at that time and continually through all of these years, there's a way in which I feel bad, like I'm doing something wrong. That's part of this whole the psychology of it. It's like a a bit of a boomerang thing going back and forth. I actually got to the point where um, I had an astrology reading. This is a long time ago. And the astrologist said one way, said that there is sometimes an issue with you and other people in terms of the energy exchange. She said it would probably be very helpful if you just made sure that when you first meet somebody that, you exchange, you have a physical, you know, if, if a handshake, hug, or whatever, something that exchanges the energy and 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 grounds it. Actually, that turned out to be really pretty good um, advice in, in that time. I would have added that you smile, but you probably did when you followed that advice. Yeah, because you're a ready smiler. You know, you smiled at me a dozen times already. And I like being smiled at. Everybody does. Uh, And uh, when you smile at someone, even if it's a put-on smile, it's hard not to reciprocate it yourself. Mm. So smiles bring forth smiles. And mutual smiles are enjoyable. And we're off on a good track. Mm. I love that. I'm just writing it down. Too good. Um, so uh, I want to, I really want to want you to share your your whole experience with His Holiness the Dalai Lama, who I'm 
has been a teacher for many, many years. It's been very few years that I haven't done some teaching with him once during the year. So a lot of love there. And, and certainly uh, the people who listen to Mind Rolling, this podcast, we talk about him a lot. So this would be a thrill. And I, I know, I mean, I think you even said there... Uh, for you, there was a personal transformation um, that you had with him during a break in the first meeting. So maybe if you can just start at the very beginning and of contacting him and and then being with him in that at that time. Well, my initial contact with him was really motivated uh, by a wish to. Uh, give my daughter to spend give my daughter the opportunity to spend some more time with him she had already met him at a meeting of high school students with the Dalai Lama and she was very impressed with him and I knew that if I was invited to Dharamsala I would get to bring one person as an observer that's a dog yeah Aha. and uh, so I thought wouldn't this I had no interest in him I, uh, at that time. But I thought, wouldn't this be a treat for my daughter to be able to spend five days? Um, there was to be a meeting of five days on, quote, destructive emotions, organized by Danny Goldman, who is, you know, a moderately well-acquainted friend at that time. And... Uh, of course, I don't believe there are destructive emotions. You can enact every emotion in a constructive or destructive fashion. But there's nothing intrinsic to any emotion that is always destructive or always constructive. It depends on the circumstance and how you enact it. And uh, actually, I think that can be quite powerful if you can consider the fact, I'm angry. How can I use that in a constructive way? How can I use that so that the person I'm angry with knows there's a problem that's occurred between us, but wants to pursue it to resolve it so that we can continue to get along with each other? I don't know how you survive a marriage if you don't learn how to do that. Uh, so emotions are very, they not only uh, tell others what's going on, they don't tell others what triggered what's going on, but they tell others what we're feeling at the moment. And that can be very useful for us to have others know. Uh, I tell people that anger is an emotion that tells you you've got a problem to deal with when you're not angry. So you and the person you're angry with need to agree about a time when you can get together and talk about it and see what was the cause of it and what you can do to resolve it. But don't Try and do it while you're angry, yeah. Because you'll probably be engaged in too much distortion. Mm. Uh, emotions act as selective filters that uh, only let in what fits the emotion we're feeling. I call that a refractory period. Uh, Alan Wallace, uh, a Buddhist scholar, who writes, who speaks in perfect prose, you can take. What Alan says, and just 
write it down and publish it. You don't need to edit it. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I only met one other person who can do that. Anyhow, uh, I met Alan in my first meeting with the Dalai Lama. We were there with my daughter as an observer for five days. And I had the first day on destructive emotions in which I said there are none. It depends on what you do, how you enact the emotion. Uh, and then I started talking about the universals. A large part of my scientific work was establishing that there are universals, universal expressions, universal triggers, universal sensations. The Dalai Lama loved that because what he likes is what brings us together, not what separates us. So he saw that this was really useful and it was the initial basis for all the time that he and I have spent together in total about 50 hours of one-on-one conversation. Now his managers, and he's very well or sort of over-managed, won't let me see him anymore. They say, you've already had more than your share of time. So mm-hmm. I say to them, well, ask him, would he like to get, mm-hmm. I'd like to talk to him about that new book, yeah. Beyond Religion. Mm-hmm. No, they're not going to ask him. It's uh, he, he asked me once, would I take over the role of being his manager? And I said, you know, that's a full-time job. I've already got uh, full-time preoccupations. Mm. But you need to spend more time keeping your managers from managing you so much. And uh, But, you know, he doesn't do that. And they don't really treat him, give him the choices that I think they should give him. But who am I? Uh, yeah, I, I know all about this because uh, not not around His Holiness because I act in some way. I mean, I'm not Ram Dass's manager, but we have a foundation, Love Serve Remember Foundation, which represents his work and the work of our guru Neem Karoli Baba, and uh, and and you know uh, he's a major brand. A lot of people want to get to him, not on the scale of His Holiness, but. Um, and I am doing some of what these people are doing in relation to uh, your request. So I'm I'm well aware. It's very very difficult. So, but Paul, tell, talk about that that moment, that break in the first meeting. What happened? Oh well, what really? It's what ruined my scientific credibility for those <laughs> people who read about it. Uh, fortunately, most scientists don't read what other scientists write, so my credibility has by and large stayed intact. But those who have, and I can, I'm thinking of a particular person who said, well, you're no longer a scientist. Oh, yeah. You're just a, a follower, a believer. Uh, but what occurred was that uh, I wanted my daughter to have the time to speak to him so that we sat with the Dalai Lama in between the two of us. And while she talked to him, asking him a question that I knew the answer of, she could have asked me too, which is why do we get the angriest at the people that we love? Mm. It's a good question, and the answer is an interesting answer, but he was holding my hand that whole time while she spoke. And I had uh, a change. I was flooded with physical sensations 
that I had not ever felt before, which I really haven't felt since, which I don't have a vocabulary to describe. There was warmth. It felt good, but it was highly unusual. And uh, the it was, I saw afterwards, transformative. Because up until that point, I had struggled every day to try to control my too fast, too strong, angry responses to disagreements and conflicts. Uh, I wasn't like that as a child, according to my relatives who knew me then, a few of whom were still alive, but I queried them. But I became like that uh, after my mother's uh, suicide when I was 14. And uh, my anger at my father, who I blamed. And he was only, he deserved only some of the blame. Uh, he certainly made it hard for her. And with, uh, but her suicide was her all also product of her own uh, internal disturbances. But I didn't think of it that way. And so I became very angry. And uh, with, I became aware of the anger and how angry I was. And I worked very hard to not express it, but that took a lot of effort and I wasn't always successful. Well, in this encounter with the Dalai Lama the first time, notice I'm not using the phrase his holiness or your holiness. It's because I don't think anyone's holy. I think he's exceptional. He's unusual. He's charismatic. He's inspiring. But you have to believe in a God to use the term holy, and I don't. Well, neither does he. Neither does he. I know. That's one of the things we agree <laughs> about. And, uh, and he doesn't think he's holy. The story, as I heard it, it was that when it was decided that he would have to go out into the world and represent Tibet in, ex in exile, his managers, or minders might be a better word, tried to figure out how should he be addressed, because the way you address him in Tibetan is a long string of words. Mm. And they decided to use the same terminology that is used for the Pope. The Pope is addressed as your holiness. Yeah. Well, I can't think of anyone who's more opposite from the Pope. I mean, you don't question the Pope. You don't disagree with the Pope. The Dalai Lama loves disagreement. There's nothing he... He had more training in debate mm. than in any other uh, discipline. He loves to argue. We would have the most wonderful arguments... Then halfway through, we change sides and take the other person's side and then see how far we could push that and then change sides again. That's all debate practice. That's what he loves to do. He loves disagreement. He's the anti-pope. <laughs> you know? Just the opposite of the pope. Mm -hmm. So I won't call him 
his holiness or your holiness. People ask me, what do you call him? I say, my dear friend. Mm. He is my he dear friend. Mm. And he likes that. And he is, he's a very dear friend. Now, they won't let me get to see him anymore. They say I've already had my share. Uh, and they refuse to ask him, does he want to meet with me? Does he want to talk about his book, Beyond Religion? They won't let him know. And so I'm totally blocked from any further conversations with him, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, but but this was a very special experience. This is obvious. Uh, oh, it was amazing. And the business where I was uh, filled with this extraordinary sensation when we were holding hands while I talked to my daughter. After that, I noticed... I mean, the rest of that day's meetings were some really dull presentations by fellow scientists, really dull, hard to follow, uninterested, usually the kinds of things that got me angry. <laughs> Why do I have to sit here and listen to this yeah. crap? Uh, who do they think they are? What are they? Why don't they think about their audience? Is their audience going to understand a word they're saying? Uh, well, I, I said to my daughter that evening, you know, Eve, I listened to all of this boring, inappropriate stuff. Didn't get me angry a bit. <laughs> Something's happened. I'm not getting angry anymore. Now, I don't worry about getting angry. I do get angry occasionally. I don't think any more than anyone else, probably a little less than anyone else. Uh, I haven't had a regrettable, angry episode, one where I'd say, gee, I wish I hadn't said that. Yeah. I haven't had that kind of an episode in decades. When was this so, meeting with His Holiness? Holy, uh, I'm calling him His Holiness because I have yes. that background, you know. So Yes, I know. It's hard to resist once you've gotten accustomed to that yeah. form of address. Uh, when was that? When was that? More than 10 years? Oh, yeah, 20 years. It's 20 years. Uh-huh. Wow. And uh, and then we had a number of meetings until his managers decided no more. Hmm. Uh, the, the only way I could see him, and I am tempted to do this, is when he next speaks in public in the United States, to show up early enough to get a front seat so he would see me and then he, we would arrange a meeting. Yeah, you should do uh, that. Yeah, I've seen yeah, that before. He he even goes, I've seen him, oh, there's my old friend and and he'll say, come on up. I've seen that yeah. before. He does yep. that. Yeah, you should do that. So, uh, But he's. Uh, I've checked his schedule. He's not speaking in the United States anywhere soon. Uh -huh. Not this uh, winter or spring. So I have to wait. Uh, fall. I'm, really I'm sure not, in the fall. Yeah, I'm not willing to go all the way to Europe for that. Yeah. Uh, so, what I, and of course I said to you, I can't remember if I said it uh, on the air or on the podcast or before when we talked, but how I did meet you was through this film of Mickey Lemley's. Yes. But, uh, uh, new Dalai Lama film. And I saw your daughter in the film, which is how I became aware of you, uh, 
there was a, a beautiful sequence with her around what you guys have created, the Atlas of Emotions. How did that come about, and how did um, His Holiness get interested? Well, he said to me one day, this must be at least 10, maybe 15 years ago, when we wanted to get to the new world, we needed a map to get there. So if we want to get to a calm state of mind, we need a map. Make a map of the emotions so we can get to a calm state of mind. And then I contacted a uh, top-notch graphics firm who luckily happened to be in San Francisco, and uh, they never had made a conceptual map. The head of it, Eric Rodenbeck, was quite challenged by it. But, of course, they had to be paid. So the Dalai Lama gave me the money, about $75,000, to pay them to work with me on creating the map of emotions, which we ended up calling the Atlas of Emotions. Maybe that was a mistake, but an atlas is a collection of maps. And if you go on any browser, it doesn't matter which one, and you put in Atlas of Emotions, up will come all the maps. And the, they're beautiful. Uh, that's the work of the graphics firm that made them so uh, pretty to look at. But they allow you to explore how emotions work. And they are each... Uh, now, he said only base it on science. So the first thing I did before making the map was to find out what do scientists agree about had been established beyond doubt. And that was only five of the emotions. I believe there are seven universal emotions. That's, but that's my belief. I have some evidence for it, but it didn't convince. It convinced about 65% of scientists. But, Oh, I hear the dog. The uh, and uh, yeah, they're they're part of the podcast. I always have oh, my dogs around. They bark at every podcast. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So, uh, but I had set an arbitrary cutoff. Seventy percent of scientists have to agree, and that was only five emotions. And that's the five emotions that are in the atlas: anger, fear, sadness, disgust, and enjoyment. Uh, I believe contempt is equally universal. I think I have really good evidence for that, published evidence. But 70% of scientists do not think so, only about 60%. So it didn't get into the atlas. So if you go into the atlas, you'll be able to find those. And uh, the, I'm right now writing a guide to how to use it, which is if you've had an emotional experience that you want to explore one that's already occurred or one that you're anticipating that you might have and you care about how you respond there's ways you can use this atlas to understand what you have done or what you might be most likely to do uh, in the future in a particular context so uh, even i and eric Rodenbach from this graphics work firm we met together for a full day for over a year to create this Atlas of Emotions. The Dalai Lama paid for it. 
I was very excited when I had a chance with Eve and Eric to show it to the Dalai Lama. That was last summer. And it was uh, some birthday celebration of his. I say some birthday because the people who did the celebration didn't know anything about him, and it was vulgar. Uh, I was very unhappy about that. But in any case, so I showed it to him. So look, here we've created the Atlas of Emotions. We've created the maps that you asked for. What do you think? And he said, do you like it? I said, yes, but what do you think? He said, if you like it, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> That's so typical of him. Mm. Uh, the uh, But part of it was that I was showing it to him on a computer. And that's what it's on. It's interactive, and it works best on the computer. But he doesn't deal with computers. He won't even look at a computer screen. Really? So yeah. And uh, so we've made a book of the atlas. It's not mm -hmm. interactive, but it's got everything that's in the atlas that he'll that he looked at that he likes. And uh, there'll be others like him. So we're. We expect within the year to have a book version of the Atlas. Now, books cost money. You have to pay publishers. The Atlas is free on the Internet. The book will have to be bought from a publisher. But that'll be a guide. So a, a guide to... No, no the, the, the guide is still a separate product. It tells you how to use the online or the book version. It does it with examples. Oh, I see. And... Uh, once you've seen how you can use it for two or three emotional examples, you then know how to use it yourself, mm. for yourself. Okay, we're going to give, uh, we, ha we need to give a URL for people to be able to explore the Atlas of Emotions and the guide. Let's do it now. Do you have a URL that you know, Paul? They can use any browser that they like. Yeah. And just put in the words Atlas of Emotion, and it'll come up. Okay. The guide won't, because I haven't written it. I have, oh. That's, ne that's okay. my next task, is but, to write it. You know, it's, uh, but So there's uh, no way to actually navigate it when you go up? And you oh, can... yes, you can. Yeah. You can navigate it, but you nobody's telling you ways to use it. I see. Okay, so we need examples. that. Yeah, you got to get that up there. Yes. Yeah. Well, I thought it was self-evident, but it isn't. Yeah. It was evident to me, but yeah. not to anyone else, it seems, yeah. or not to many people. Anyhow, so, I've, yeah, I've taken a, a, a small look at it, and uh, it was fascinating. And I, similarly to you, have had anger issues in my life. Of course, I didn't sit next to the Dalai Lama, and he held my hand, and then the next thing you know... That became a distant something or other. So that's pretty. Uh, there's a lot of grace there, Paul. You have to admit there. that. Yes. So I and I've had plenty in my life in terms of meeting Neem Karoli Baba, and uh, uh, but this has uh, absolutely um, has continued over my lifetime dealing with anger. So I was particularly interested in looking further into that with the Atlas of Emotions. I was really happy to have run into it through Mickey's film. Uh, and I would highly recommend anybody 
to get up there and take a look at this, and, and I think there's potential for insight. I think it would be great, of course, to have the guide. I'd be looking forward to it as well. Um, but um, there's one thing in all of the... Well, there's a couple of things. This thing around anger, and you mentioned it before, that anger is not... Uh, there's a positive aspect to it, shall we say. Yes. Um, and it can be useful. And I have found that, although I understand what you're saying, and it, there's a, certainly a way to look inside once the heat has gone, shall we say, I have found that, like if we take righteous anger, you know, something is really wrong, it's, it's socially unjust, and you, want to, you get angry and you want to correct it, and you're using that as fuel. Yes. Right, and that may be part of how you're couching anger as being useful. But then I say to you, in my own case, and I am aware enough to notice that when I do get angry, and let's say it's a social injustice kind of thing, and that Trump as president is, for me, the easiest, and once I see something, I might see something in the paper and I get a knee-jerk angry reaction. How could he do that? Uh, and then if it's really, if there's a lot of heat around it, I end up, I can see myself pulling other angry aspects that are inside from my life and throwing it into that mix so that it becomes much more than just that uh, very focused uh, reaction that I initially had. What do you, how do you... Uh... That's a problem. Uh, the... <laughs> Thanks a lot. Yeah, because what's occurring is a sort of seepage of unresolved anger that you're carrying around, that you haven't understood well enough to get past it. Now, there isn't one anger. There are many variations of anger. Uh, and, of course, anger can provide the motivation for actions for social justice. It can protect us when we're threatened. It can, but any intense emotion, and we're not talking about you're being annoyed, we're talking about you're being very angry about something, narrows our perspective. And runs the risk of distorting our perspective. It depends on how much anger baggage you're carrying around of incidents that you've been very angry about where you never did anything with it. Anger is the most dangerous emotion. It's the most protective emotion. It's the most assaultive emotion. Anger, unless you're under physical threat, in which case you need to use anger to defend yourself. But that's rarely the case. Usually we get angry when we're frustrated in our attempt to reach a goal that matters to us. Sometimes it doesn't matter much. Somebody just jumps in front of us online, which is wrong. They shouldn't do that. 
to get angry about it. We're going to hit him? We're going to say, you son of a bitch? Uh, or are we going to just let it pass? It's a bit of a frustration. Some of us have a very low tolerance for frustration. Mm-hmm. That's usually because we haven't dealt with frustrations that were pivotal in shaping our personality in the past. And so we've got a a warehouse of frustrations <laughs> stored up. And the, you know, the roof isn't really good and the windows are open and they can be accessed easily. Uh, there are a lot of things that can help with that. Uh, there's a technique that's gone out of fashion, but used to be very good and effective, I thought, called psychodrama. And uh, Moreno, M-O-R-E-N-O, was the main exponent. He may even have been the inventor of using sort of a dramatic performance to deal with an emotion and in some sense to give you insight and control over it. Because the biggest problem with anger is losing control. There's a phrase I particularly like where after you've said something you wish you hadn't said, you say, oh, I'm sorry I lost my head. That just means you didn't know what you were doing. You did know what you were doing, but if you had paused and considered it, you wouldn't have done it. You would have used different words or let it pass. Now, there's lots of frustrations in life. We can't respond to all of them. So which ones do we respond to? Are the ones that echo the most upsetting frustrations in our life? Or are they just a random selection of what's ever hot right at the moment? I can't give you the answer, but you know the answer if you think about it. And sort of, uh, here's a piece of practical advice. Keep a diary of regrettable emotional episodes. After you've had one, you know you had one. I wish I hadn't said that, acted that way, done that. Write it down in your diary. Mm. Write as much as you can remember. After you've got 30 of them written down, I hope that that won't occur in a week. (laughs) It'll take longer. But however long it takes after you've got 30 of them, then read through it. What's the thread? What's getting your goat? Mm. It may be obvious to you. If it isn't, have a friend read through it. If a friend can't help you or you don't want to have a friend know it, then have a counselor of some kind, whether it's a minister or a psychotherapist. It'll be very useful because there's something common about regrettable emotional episodes that you're not seeing Mm. that may help you then avoid them in the future. Mm. Because none of us want to live our life regretting what we've done last week, yesterday. But we don't remember them very well. Our memory for emotions is not very good. So write down, Mm. keep a diary of regrettable emotional episodes. I think I'm going to have my wife look this over <laughs> I, I want to uh, go right have, into the she, fire she may have different entries than you have about your regrettable yeah, right. emotional she, episode well that'll be a margin we can create so she can have notes on it um 
Well, this is uh, Dr. Ekman. I have to thank you. And, and uh, of course, I'm in front of this considerable audience. I am just gone through a um, psychotherapy session of sorts with Dr. Ekman because we've talked about things that um, are quite important to me to clean up. And uh, But I think... When you talk, Paul, about universality, and that's the only thing that uh, His Holiness is interested in, and I, I think that's so right on, because uh, actually the thing that um, drew me to Ramdas back in the day when I first heard him talk was everything he was being self-honest about, right? About all of his foibles, and like, oh my God, it's okay. He's got it. Okay, we all got there was some kind of real um, solve to the wounds, uh, the internal, you know, when you're keeping everything inside and so on. So I think the universality is uh, totally important. And, uh, you know, thank, thanks for sharing this. This has been really, really constructive. Uh, and I mean that, and I think for, for me and the audience to really be able to look inwardly at emotions and the way that we express them and so on. Uh, and you have many books, Emotions Revealed, Unmasking the Face, uh, the face and then Emotional Awareness with His Holiness, um, and, and, and many more. And I'd love to see you do a course, Cultivating Emotional Balance. You should do an online course with your daughter. That would be a great thing. Well, that's a good suggestion. I'll talk to her about it. Uh, yes. She teaches it a lot. And uh, it'd be a real question as to whether we could do it online and have it be as useful. Because oh, people uh, make contact with each other when you yeah. actually in each other's presence. I think it could be. And I'd be glad to offer my uh, help because we do these all the time, online courses uh, so with Ramdas and so on and other people. Um, but uh, you can just as... Uh, as Dr. Ekman suggested, look up uh, Google up Atlas of Emotions, and we will. We'll. I'll put a URL. We'll have a URL of that. We'll have a URL of uh, Dr. Ekman's website, so that you can go and and use that. There's uh, some wonderful blogs, all sorts of. It's really well done, by the way, Paul. Love oh, your website, you. and um, we'll have that all up on Mind Rolling on the page when we. Uh, once this podcast is released. So I'm, I'm really happy to have you and have having met you. Thank you very much. It's, it's been a pleasure. I can tell you, and I'm interviewed by people who don't ask interesting questions. It's really painful, but this has been a pleasure. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate it and hope to keep in touch. And uh, uh, thank you for I being hope, here. Hope you do. Okay. Bye now. Bye-bye.